Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Beyond Grit with me, Robert Young. So I hope everybody had a fantastic July 4th weekend. Um, it is summer outside. It is hot. Uh, hopefully uh, you guys all had a nice, safe weekend and enjoyed some fireworks. Um, so this week I have started over on my eating journey. So I always do this. I go on little jaunts and different things, and I'm getting back to normal. Um, and normal by getting back to eating balanced and more of a macro-based uh, diet. And so I started up with uh, Rachel Hoover, and she owns Truth Nutrition Coaching. So I, I signed up, and I'm pretty good about my nutrition, but I get a bit confused after you do go through paleo and keto and intermittent fasting. And I was like, I just got to get back to normal eating. And plus, I'm not getting any younger. I'm going to be 49 this year, and I need to keep all the muscle mass that I have. I don't want to get rid of any. So I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hire a coach and... Um, Let's get going on my journey. And it's kind of fitting because the the guest that I have this week is Brad Jensen. And Brad Jensen owns Key Nutrition. Uh, he's based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. And he's got quite a, a story, um, a little dark at times. And he went through like a 10-year um, pretty gnarly drug addiction, left him homeless, Left him, you know, just desperate and you know, shunned from his family. And it was just, it's a really telling story. And he is, he's such a good guy. And, and we sat down and, and talked, got his life story, and um, he, he made it through. Uh, but there is a little trigger warning for anybody who may be negatively affected um, by hearing graphic details. Uh, associated with um, IV heroin use at marker 29 to 30, just skip on past that. Um, but now, I mean, he's eight and a half years into recovery. He owns a successful business um, and he's got a growing health and nutrition company. And he also has the Key Nutrition Podcast. Um, he He's a great storyteller. He's very entertaining, um, really good guy. He is uh, at The Sober Bodybuilder. You can find him on Instagram. And he's just, he's the real deal. So sit back, enjoy. It's too hot out there for hot tea and hot coffee. So go get yourself an iced coffee or, or an iced tea. And uh, sit back, enjoy, and I will talk to you later. Most stories of success usually focus on a person's highlight reel. In this podcast... Those people will share what goes on beyond the curtain. You'll hear about their wins and losses and how those experiences created their grit and determination. There's no such thing as luck. Welcome to Beyond Grit with Robert Young. Pretty new dad, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just under, uh, turns a year, uh, the 15th of June. So I don't know when this will air, but so. Oh my God. Yeah. Big, big. Hey, you loving it? Dude, loving it man it's yeah. great i mean he's a handful but it's great oh, i it's called great. i called mine spirited he was spirited <laughs> yeah, i like that they're fun they're you know at one they're just kind of hanging out that's the easy stage and then they start getting mobile and moving around and 
that's when that's when the fun happens. Yeah, right. So you live over in Salt Lake. Yeah, Salt Lake City, Utah. That's correct. Where are you at? In uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Right on. Right yeah. on. I like uh um Ut I love Utah. I love the state. I do a lot of hiking, get outside. Um, so been to Moab, Zion. Uh, we were just in Park City uh, a few oh, months right ago. So we were in your hood, right which on. is good. Have you grew up? Yeah. Did you grow up there? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Grew up in uh, just a suburb of Salt Lake City. Uh, okay. Um, I'm actually just about 30, 40 minutes from uh, 30 minutes from Park City. So uh, we guess rep. But uh, yeah, grew up here and uh, uh, yeah, born and raised. Fortunately, unfortunately, I used to say unfortunately because and it's a weird culture here. It's just a weird vibe, but it's actually probably in the last few years, I've learned to just really embrace it. Um, it's a beautiful yeah. scenery, a lot to do. And, uh, and the culture and the population is getting more and more diverse, which is really cool. Okay. People are mad. We're getting this huge influx of Californians moving to Utah, but I like it because it spices up some of the culture and environment and, and new, new things. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked so I, the first time in, in Salt Lake City was when we went to Park City. And I just think it was amazing how the city was flat. And then it was like, boom, it hits those mountains, which yeah. are amazing. I yeah. love it. I love <laughs> yeah. it. So what are you doing now? So what's your day? What's going on with the podcast? And, you know, what's going on with you? Um, man, my life is really full. Uh, and that's a great thing. I mean... You know, hell, I was 20 minutes late getting back to here. I'm, I'm going to blame it on traffic, but it's also because my schedule runs a little too tight to get to get to things. But um, my life is um is good, man. I've got uh, get key nutrition that I that I uh, own and operate. And so we do all things nutrition and fitness coaching. Um, and I've got I always lose track. I got eight other eight other coaches that work under the brand underneath me. 10 sorry i got two Ten. assistant coaches then i have my eight coaches that kind of handle their own things uh so key nutrition is great and um that's been uh been a real big blessing and then and then it's uh kind of spiraled into a couple other businesses i got i do a course called the next level experience which is um an eight-week interactive intimate and uh and quite frankly kind of intense like deep dive into the spiritual emotional physical component of all this it's it's everything I've kind of learned along the way with my coaching. And so that's been a business that's, uh, we're in our third round. And so we run them quarterly and that's starting to get really, uh, really cool. And, um, so that's exciting. And, uh, I do the podcast twice a week and we're on episode 253 or something, you know, it nice. started as something and I was just like, yeah, why not do a podcast? That'd be kind of cool. I actually really didn't think I was going to I didn't know. I didn't go into it with like, I want to build this, this podcast. that's going to get a million downloads and, and we're creeping up on a million finally. And that's a huge nice. accomplishment. And, and, um, but it turned, it was a passion project that turned into something that's very much part of my job as I'm sure you get. Um, yep. And so yeah. I've really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and, and to do a consistent podcast, get consistent, good guests and have consistent, uh, things to talk about, you know, hundreds of episodes later, um is a little more work than i originally thought going into it but yeah but i love it man yeah i love it so and then i do some business mentoring uh on the side as well where i help people with their content or getting a podcast started and um more client attraction and so and then i and then i'm a dad and i'm a single dad me and uh me and his mom are, are not together and um but we co-parent well and uh -huh. I, I tell people uh 
I might not get to see him every day, but I, I hands down, I spend more time alone with my son right now than if I was so married because I get him. It's just me and him. Uh, We've learned on the fly. I'm surprised that kid's alive. I'm oh we're just God. winging it together, but it's amazing. It's amazing. They let you go to the hospital. When I was in the hospital, I've got two kids. They're uh, 18 and 20 now. Oh, so, geez. You don't yeah. look old enough to have an eight. I'm not even trying to flatter you. I'm like, I uh, know. Thought we were like the same age. <laughs> 18 and 20. We started, uh, I think I was 27 when we had. Oh, man. Oh, my God. 28. And we had my daughter. And uh, and then we had my son like three years later. Yeah, he's graduating high school this year. No so, shit. But you wow, sit in the hospital and it's like easy easy in the hospital and then they let you out and you get home and you're like oh shit right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like what do you where's the manual yeah like yeah. i need the manual i don't know what to do i know i know <laughs> i don't want to screw these kids up i ended up when i was uh i moved from michigan to charlotte and we we moved about 10 years ago and i was a fireman and uh in michigan and that was that was easy and then i came here um and it was for my wife's job and i was a stay-at-home dad for eight years and then that's where the work came that mm. i fight fires all day long raising raising two middle schoolers through that Ooh. yeah that's good stuff good for that's you good man. stuff but um so you know and and that's awesome most of your stuff virtual right now that you're doing or do you do one-on-one -on -one? No, uh, yeah, so most of it's, you know, most of it's virtual. What's interesting was when I started the model of key nutrition, I, um, I kind of duplicated the place, the nutrition coaching place I was at before, um, which was an in-person office where people would come in and, uh, we'd do body fat testing and, and basically do their nutrition consults in person. And, uh, so I, you know, I got an office space and that's where I'm currently at. It's where I put my podcast, you know, over the last, um, couple of years that business models changed because I realized, um, you know, while Salt Lake City's growing, um, you can only hit and it doesn't matter what city you're in, if you're just trying to capitalize on your local market. Mm -hmm. So we started going a lot more virtual and, um, you know, I still have an office and, uh, it's, um, my coaches, you know, work out of here and the people that are local will come in person. The only difference is they get, you know, uh, some body fat testing on an embody and, and, uh, you know, the coach can do their measurements and maybe a little more human connection that way. But, uh, but yeah, we've got a lot more virtual and personally with my business, um, any of my clients almost, uh, I would say 80% are, are virtual and out of state. And so okay. uh, it's kind of this hybrid mix. We still have an office and, and for a lot of people, even my coaches that have a ton of um, online and virtual clients, it works well because it gives them a space to get out of the house and come here. Yeah. And, and so um, I've just kept it, even though the models changed a lot and we were doing meal plans when I first started. So the idea was the client would come in, they'd sit on this couch and we'd pull up all these food choices. And um, I really switched my, my method on that because I realized meal plans don't work long-term, which we mm -hmm. get into later. And so we do, you know, instead of giving a man a fish, let's teach a man how to fish. And so we do more macronutrient-based coaching and, okay. and having clients track their own macros. And and uh, that can be done virtually. You know, people don't need to come in for that. So uh, yeah. the model has shifted and changed, which we can get into. I learned a lot about what not to do, yeah. uh, you know, in business and uh, kind of found what does work. So, yeah, it, well, it's 100%. We're going to hit that. Um, 
but you've got a you've got a pretty sobering background story that that you've shared and it's not something you've hidden um and now i'm going to kind of let you i'm going to kind of let you go on on that and and tell everybody and and i want people to really listen and and know that um and another thing that was very interesting about your story is because you knew exactly kind of when it happened and and when you you decided to to kind of head on that path right yeah. and and people need to to understand that um it can it can happen to anybody and um when somebody's kind of in it there's there's a way there's there's an out you know mm-hmm. and that's what i kind of want to get to people that that's not the end game and for anybody you know um it's it's good to have family and good to have support um but uh i'm gonna kind of let you tell your story um if you don't mind yeah no absolutely i'll i'll try to hit on the key points and yep. do the uh, shorter version because i've been known to be a little long-winded with this but uh you know i mean listen i grew up in uh in in utah in the predominant religion here which is mormon um mm-hmm. and you know more of just a christian base right good family yeah good great moral values i'm i am i i made the ripe age of like 11 my decision to stop going to that church and basically my whole family is kind of you know out but i'm really grateful for the uh the values and morals that were instilled like you know listen i didn't have any obviously like i didn't have any obvious trauma growing up i wasn't sexually assaulted i wasn't abused and um physically or mentally or emotionally or sexually or and and mm-hmm. i say that because a lot of people who end up with a drug problem were yeah and um you know, I, I really, really have come to the acceptance that I believe this was my my challenge to overcome in life and then get, get an opportunity to share stories on, on platforms like this about it. I believe I came out of the womb just restless and irritable and discontent. Like, I, I always make a joke, but I'm dead serious. I think if I could have talked as an infant, when I came out of the world, I would have asked my mom for a Xanax. Like, I just remember always feeling just really uncomfortable and it's hard when you're a kid to tell your mom like at seven hey i think i'm having some anxiety issues i think i need some you know you just kind of shut down and um and so you know i uh i was a chubby kid growing up and and i, I got really into fitness when i was about 14 15 years old um just picked up a magazine at a bookstore and i was enthralled with it and i don't know what grabbed my attention but i remember i started applying everything these magazines were teaching me and uh and really transformed my body. You know, when I look mm-hmm. back and I was, I was a chubby kid, but I, I even see pictures now and I just want to give that kid a hug. Like I, I, I thought I was the fattest kid ever because I hung out with kids that were rail thin and what, yeah. what we called them was ripped. And like, turns out they just had like no body fat because they just, that's, you know, they were just skinny. Yeah. And so I was felt uncomfortable and uh, I experimented with some alcohol when I was 13, you know, and I remember thinking, Oh, this is bad. And, when I got into fitness, um, especially when I got my driver's license, could drive myself to the gym. And uh, I remember reading, you know, some articles or something about how bad alcohol was for building muscle. And so I just quit doing Stop. it. I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't like this regular part of my life, but I was experimenting uh, with drugs and alcohol, like weed. And, uh-huh. and so, um, but I still felt this like restless and irritable and discontent nature. And I couldn't explain it. Like I I got the body I wanted. I got the hottest girl in school by the time I was a junior, but I still remember having this kind of just like, ah, like 
all under what like lying anxiety all the time and not feeling um like I just kind of fit in. I couldn't explain it, even though I was like a popular kid. It was the yeah. weirdest dichotomy in my head. And um in in, in high school, it was presented to me to to try some uh, narcotic pain pills, some some opiates. And I and I this is how naive I was. I was like, oh, I'm not in any pain. And the the guy laughed at me and said, Oh, no, no, no. They make you feel like you're drunk, but tomorrow you don't have a hangover and you can go lift. All the bodybuilders take them because they get all, you know, the pain in your joints. And and I was like, right on. So I took them. And I remember when that feeling hit me, it was about 30 minutes later. I can remember the house I was in. I remember the cabinets. I remember like the, I, I remember everything about that moment when it hit me. I remember thinking, this is the feeling I want the rest of my life. Like I had arrived and I hear people that get surgery and take pain pills. And they're like, I hated the way it made me feel. I'm like, oh my gosh, it was love at first sight. Uh, I loved them. And, and, and I, I would be lying to you if I told you that I still like, I loved them. What yeah. I hated was what they did to my life. I loved the way I, they made me feel. And so it progressed, um, you know, pretty quick where uh, my first entrepreneurial uh, journey began with selling drugs. And and I, I say that kind of as a joke, but it was half serious as, uh, you know, I started doing some crazy measures going down to Tijuana, Mexico from Salt Lake City, just to give you listeners a, a pair. Like, it's not like San Diego. It's a 14 hour drive. And I'd, I'd heard this, I'd heard older guys talking about this way to go to the pharmacias. You load, you know, you take off your door panels, you load them up, all the drugs, you put door panels like on, you just drive through the border. And I did it kind of idiot savant, like, like, just like not understanding the amount of federal felonies I was committing, but I did it and it worked. And I was like, sweet. So I had this plethora of drugs. I started selling drugs to all the kids in high school. And, um, and that went on, uh, the last part of my senior year for about six months, I went down there four times and I was making money. I had all these narcotics, never ran out. Didn't think I really had a problem. Um, I was still like getting enough good grades and my parents didn't know what was going on. And the day came where somebody got, um, other kids had gotten this tip. And so they went down to Mexico. They got busted. It was all over uh -huh. the news. They got stuck in a Mexican prison. And I was like, I can't get stuck there. And I tell all you this because I literally thought, okay, well, all right, it's time to kind of grow up and move on. I, had, I got certified when I was a personal trainer when I was a senior in high school because I realized I hated school. I hated it. People are like, well, you want to go to college? I'm like, for what? I can't even stay in high school. Yeah. And so I knew I loved fitness. So I was the youngest personal trainer that, uh, Bally Total Fitness, which has since gone yeah. out of business, hired. They said, uh, you're only 18. You just barely graduated high school. We'll give you a job. You're certified. We've never seen anybody certified this young. And so I was like, okay, time to just grow up. I'll just stop this, right? Yeah. And um, not understanding that that I, by that point, six months of daily use, not missing a day, that I was physically addicted to these things. And so... Um, the day came that uh, they ran out and I withdrawed and I didn't know what withdrawals were. Keep in mind, I was selling drugs to high school kids that were doing them on weekends. Like I wasn't selling them to junkies that were showing up to my parents' house, banging on the window at two in the morning, wanting their fix. Yeah. So I heard about these things, but I was like, oh, that's not me. I was so viciously sick. I was withdrawing so hard. I never felt it was the flu times 10 plus this just like panic attack anxiety almost. And I was like, I can't do this. And, um, you know, kind of ended up wrong, wrong people, wrong place. And uh, a guy said, hey, I got something that'll make you feel better. And uh, it was an old, this older guy. 
and he and he and he presented some heroin to me. And it's crazy. If you would ask me eight months prior to that, will you ever do heroin? I said, mm-hmm. of course, I'll never heroin. Ew, no, like that's disgusting. Like, no, yeah. I never crossed my mind as a good idea until that very moment. And uh, so I shot up heroin uh, as an 18 year old, almost 19 for the first time. I'm uh, for the first time. And I remember the guy looked at me and he said, kid, your life's never going to be the same. I'm sorry. Oh. And I remember I'm like, why did he say I'm sorry? Yeah. Like, and it instantly made me feel better. And, um, and he was right. Like I just chased it, man. I chased it. And, uh, you know, I couldn't stop because I just kept thinking about how bad those withdrawals were and I couldn't go through it. And heroin is cheap. So I could, I could, uh, I could get the heroin and, um, and so it just went, man. And, and, and here's the thing. It gets, it gets worse, never better with that stuff. Like I've, I've yet to meet somebody who's, like, oh, yeah, I run it. You know, I run a successful company. I got a beautiful wife and kids that love me. And oh, by the way, I've been a 20 year heroin addict. Yeah. Like, I've, I haven't heard it because it doesn't exist. That stuff, that stuff is all consuming. It takes over your whole entire life. It doesn't care if you're black, white, rich, poor. My, like, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter if I came from a great religious household or a shitty household. Drugs are the ultimate equalizer. They don't care. And especially in my experience, something as powerful as heroin. And so, um, you know, I can't believe that the guy like knew it, like knew what he was doing. He knew he was, he was knew he was, he was hooking you and, 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 and ruining your life. You know, you know, and, 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 coincidental not coincidentally right that guy also was a dealer who i continued to buy from right and you know what's funny is i was quite a piece of shit out there let me just make that known but one thing i never did was if somebody had never done it i was never going to be the guy that was going to give it to him first yeah i was like can't do it man can't do it like i'm not gonna my life is horrible like i like if you want to go do this on your own but if, if I would never, I never wanted to do that to somebody. And it's funny because it was like the one part of me that I just couldn't imagine if somebody else wanted to go down that journey, that's their path. But I wasn't going to be the guy that started them on it because yeah. I knew that like once you get in that darkness, it sucks you in. And so I ended up uh, going to treatment for the first time. And, and I tell this because it's, it's important to know, like I went to treatment. So I 2003 end of 2003 was the first time i did heroin by by 2000 spring of 2005 i ended up in rehab and i told my parents and and i wasn't living with them they knew something was kind of sideways i'd gotten fired from my personal training job i you know they didn't know i was doing heroin though they knew i was partying but uh you know and they were in shock and they put me in this beautiful treatment center that i thought was just going like to a prison i mean i'd go back there right now i got to meditate and do yoga all day long yeah i mean it was beautiful place um actually up in park city and so um i went there and i remember thinking okay well this is going to cure me and so you know um i I got out of there and i remember thinking well but uh i'm not even legal age to drink yet i can certainly i can drink a little so i drank and nothing bad happened i drank again nothing bad happened i drank a third time blacked out didn't know what that was woke up had no recollection of what happened Drank a fourth time, found what I really liked, which was cocaine. The cocaine led me back to the heroin. And it was just this cycle over and over and over and over. And so that went on for, um, you know, 2005 to my sobriety day is November uh, 20th of 2012. And I'm forever grateful for that. 
But let me tell you, in that seven years, there was countless attempts to get sober. It was not, I would go on these binges and I'd go on these stretches where I'd go three, two, three months, sometimes even six weeks where I would just go hard. And then something would intervene. The cops um, started intervening because I started getting in trouble. And while I hated that, it would give me a reprieve. They'd take me to jail for 30 days or 60 days. I'd get out, I'd do good for a minute, and then it was back. Or my parents would intervene, send me to detox or send me to rehab. And so I had 17 bookings into the county jail, um, spent about uh, 20 months total, you know, a little time here, a little time there, seven different rehabs. And the crazy part was I would get out and I'd get right back into fitness and I could actually, man, like I didn't look like a heroin addict. I would still go to the gym for a good portion of it until it would get too bad. And so by the end of that, um, and, and you know, when I was doing anything I could do to get, to get, to get the drugs and get the fix. And at the, uh, my parents got introduced to a program called Al-Anon, which is the sister program to Alcoholics Anonymous. And basically what they teach them is like, you're going to love your, your addict or alcoholic to death. You have to put up boundaries. And it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but the best thing they put up boundaries in my parents, you know, cause I'm in my twenties at this point. Yeah. And the last time I got out of jail after doing a year in 2011 and I got out January of 2012 and um, they said, Hey, you can come live here, but if you screw up once we're kicking you out. I said, okay. I was only made it three days out of jail and that craving came back, that insanity in my head. You see, because I sat in jail and I thought sitting in jail, being sober was being in recovery. There's a big difference. I wasn't doing any work. I wasn't working on myself. I wasn't, I was quite frankly, I was doing all the same behaviors. I was getting in fights. I was gambling. I was, you know, we were doing all these things. Yeah. And so dry time didn't equal actual recovery. I hadn't changed. And so the thought came back and the craving, I remember I started sweating my palms, everything, my stomach hurt. I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to call this dealer. I remember thinking in that moment, I, I did everything they taught me in rehab. I played the tape through and the tape told me once you start, you don't stop. This is going to be really bad. Like you're not going to stop once you start. And I still went and I, I tears rolling down my face going to get the drugs. It was the most insane thing. I knew what I was about to do and I couldn't stop myself. Like, and that's when I really fundamentally understood that like addiction is truly a brain disease. Now the DSM four recognizes that like the medical, like it is a, yeah. a neurological brain disorder because I couldn't stop myself. That and was so because that shocked me when you were, when you were talking about being clean for a year. Yeah. And then getting out and within three days back like it was it, the insanity like this insatious craving came back and i could not get it out of my head and it was um it was not i realized just how truly powerless unless i started doing some actual internal work mm -hmm. and and listen i used drugs i used heroin with guys that got addicted to heroin because it's addictive that once they stopped, they didn't really have to do much. One guy stopped because he's got his wife, his girlfriend pregnant. I was blown away. I was like, what? And he just withdrawed for five days at his parents' house. And he just went on about his life. We didn't suffer from the same thing. He got addicted yeah. to addictive drug. I had the gene of like this, this, I had the, the, 
the disorder of addiction. And I still like, dude, like that was ingrained. Like it was in my brain that like I was neurologically wired different. And it took me a long time to accept that. And so it's, uh, it went that last year was horrible. I kind of flash forward, but it was, um, you know, once, once my parents stopped enabling me and bailing me out of every situation and, and I had terminated my probation. So I had nothing hanging over my head. It just went every day. And I didn't draw another sober breath from that day in January until November 20th of uh, 2012, my sobriety date. And that was about uh, 11 months, give or take, of daily use where I didn't draw a single sober breath because my pattern, like I'd said before, was going three or four months, getting really, everything would get really bad. Something would bail me out. I'd get three or four months clean and I would just do the cycle. Mm -hmm. So it just went every day. I looked like a shell of myself, like I had lost 40 pounds. I was running with people that I never thought in a million years I'd run with. I made the very conscious decision, this is not a lie, that I was going to start using meth in addition because I was too tired from the heroin like to go hustle. So I was like, meth's cheap. Like This is like how crazy my brain was. Then I got on the meth and the heroin, and the meth introduced me to people that to this day, like I just, some really dark, dark people. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, my family wouldn't talk to me and it was a miserable year. And when, when it started getting cold and, and I was homeless that whole year and I was resourceful. So I never actually slept on the streets. Um, I was resourceful enough that I found really, you know, flop houses, drug houses. I would get enough money to get hotels for a week at a time or motels. I never actually slept on the streets, but I was homeless for that mm -hmm. whole year. And, uh, and by the end of the year, it got cold and got cold and it was, uh, in November in Utah, it gets cold and it was starting to snow. And yeah, I'm like, this has got to end. It was a little easier to run and gun in the summer, summertime, but, uh, and, um, you know, the very end of that year, and I've told the story a lot, but this was, this was the moment and keep in mind, like that year, I finally just decided I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to die this way. I'm done trying to get sober. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. I've tried probably 50 times. So I'm just a junkie. I'm a drug addict. My family's disowned me. This is what my life is. I've just gave up, mm -hmm. gave up completely. Finally just surrendered to the fact of like, this is what you are. And so it got to the end of the year and uh, I got a call from my mother and I hadn't heard from him in months. And so I, I picked up the phone, of course, she informed me my grandfather died. And uh, this is the same grandpa that I was supposed to go see twice that whole year and just no showed, of course. So she says, I really want you to be at the funeral. And I said, so do I. And she said, just do whatever you got to do to be right. And I knew what that meant was, yeah. please don't be so high that you're drooling on yourself. And please don't be withdrawing. And of course, the day came and I ran out of the drugs. But I was committed to go to that funeral. And I thought, okay, I can plug through this. I'll find some dope when I get home. And my mom picked me up and the withdrawals were so bad. I was vomiting in her car and um, just... I, was sweating and shaking and she, she was crying. She said, you can't go up like this. What do we have to do? So of course I made her go to the dealer's house and, and I hopped in the backseat of her car. And by this point, we're going to be late. It's clear up. It's uh, it's about an hour and a half away. And she said, we're going to be late to your funeral because of like your grandfather's funeral because of you, like, cause I wanted to stop somewhere so I could do the drugs. She said, get in the backseat, do whatever you have to do. My mom knew I used heroin. She'd never watched me do heroin. Mm -hmm. And I got in the backseat of her car. And I, and I, and I'm grateful for that moment. And, and it just kind of hit me now, even sharing this, 
I wanted her to stop at a gas station to go and use the bathroom to do it there. So she didn't have to watch me, but she said, we are already going to be 20 minutes late, do whatever you have to do. And it was like that moment, because I don't know if, if I didn't have my mom watch me do it, I don't know if I would have had all this happen. Mm -hmm. So she got, she watched, she's watching me in the rear view mirror driving up the highway and I'm, I got my spoon and my needle, like just the whole junkie kit, they call it like the, the, you're cooking up the heroin and I'm trying to find a vein in my arm and she's watching the whole thing and she's just got tears just streaming down her face. She's not saying a word and I don't even know how she didn't wreck because she was locked in on that rear view mirror, just staring at me. And I kept glimpsing at her and glimpsing at her and try to block it out. And so, and I did, and I, and I found a vein, I shot up the heroin. And of course I felt instantly better instantly. Like it's, it's like, it's so crazy in that it's milliseconds. You're like, Oh, I'm back to normal. And in that moment though, I couldn't hide the pain. Like I looked and I looked at my mom crying and she wouldn't say a word. She didn't say a word. She didn't even try to wipe the tears off her face. She was just, there was, it was the ultimate heartbreak. Mm. And in that moment, it was like, whatever I, it hit me. I couldn't, I would like, I could not numb like what I just did. And, um, I thought you have two choices, man. You need, and I hadn't been suicidal. Like, honestly, when I was dope sick, I would say things, but once I got well, meaning once I did heroin, I was like, oh, I don't want to die. Yeah. I was actually not suicidal. There was a lot of people that were, I was not. But in that moment, it was very clear to me. I said, you have two choices. You either need to kill yourself or you need to get sober. Going on another day like that wasn't an option. And quite frankly, the first option seemed a little more realistic to me mm. because I didn't, my, 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 my past showed me I could not actually get sober. So yeah. I try. I tried so many times. They had spent my, I didn't even know this till later. My dad refinanced their house to send me to rehab the last time. Like they had to pull out a second mortgage. Like they had to do all these things. And so I, uh, and whatever that moment, man, was what shifted it for me. And I watched and I went through the funeral. And that night, um, I, I say, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I was pulled over in a stolen car to, to this day. <clears throat> I didn't know it was stolen. Um, the guy asked me to drive, and now I know why. And it was just this moment of there was a reason why I was in that driver's seat. And I got pulled over because the car was stolen. The cop, the lights go off. And I remember just this moment of surrender, like it's done. It's done. I'm done. Like, this is it. I'm going to jail. The guy, mm -hmm. kid informed me the car was stolen, and I was grateful. Yeah. I was like, I'm ready, man. Cop took me to jail, and uh, that's where my journey began, man. I went to jail, and I only went for 30 days, and uh, and I got out. I Man, I was trying to tell that. I'm looking at the time. I was trying to tell that short, but I did not do a do. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> it was still, it was the hairs on my arm. I'm telling you, that is so powerful. So powerful. <sighs> I think just the message, man, you fall down 50 times, get up 51, because literally nothing would have shown. This is what I tell my clients, like, it have been crazy unsuccessful with weight loss over two decades of time. I said, I get mm -hmm. it. I tried 50 times probably legitimately to get sober and, and failed 50. Yeah. But if I wouldn't have tried that 50 first, I wouldn't be here helping you is what I tell them, you know? Yeah. And um, I got out of jail and I went left instead of right, so to speak. Like, instead of calling the drug friends, I called my mother. She said, you can't stay here, but I'll drop you off at a recovery meeting. She dropped me off there. Some guy let me sleep on his couch. I got a job waiting tables um, so I could pay for like uh, a room to rent at his house. This guy that didn't even know me, that gave me a chance. And uh, 
and that led me back into eventually getting a job back at um, doing in the fitness industry pretty fast, about four months sober, got an opportunity and, and seized it. And, um, and, and man, I've just every day, you know, and, and, and I did a lot of work. Um, I got, you know, I got sober through like 12 step rooms. I don't really mm -hmm. care how someone gets sober. It's what worked for me. And there was, uh, you know, went through the 12 steps and in there, I got a, I got a connection to a God of my own understanding. I tell people like, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to define what God is to me, but I know that I found it through those steps. And, uh, and that relieved me of this, this insanity in my head. And somewhere along the way, after going to a meeting every single day and doing the things they told me, like do a morning routine, you know, pray. I don't even care what you're praying to like realize, you know, ask for help, reach out to other people. Um, dude, the, yeah. the cravings went away. People say to me, Oh, eating, you know, whatever I'm, eight and a half, eight and a half plus years sober right now. They said, Oh, it must be a daily battle. And I said, what the hell? If it was a daily battle, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> it was a daily battle about the first six months. And then something clicked and changed. And, um, you know, right. I, I can honestly say, man, I, I, I haven't had any cravings. I have thoughts occasionally because yeah. that's normal, but, uh, man, eight and a half years later, I am clean from all mind altering substances. I don't drink. I don't do any of it. Uh, cause it doesn't work for me. So that's interesting. And I want people to, to hear kind of what you said. And in this same thing was somebody else that I interviewed also, and they said it took six months. They were in rehab for six months before they realized that it was, it was them that needed to change. It wasn't the drugs. It was, it was, well, you know what? I got to start leaning into these programs and start Maybe they actually know something to help me through this. And you kind of hit on that same thing to where you can go for a year without drugs and come out in three days. Boom. You're on. Yeah. Do they have stuff? Uh, like if you were in, in jail for a year, you got off drugs, you were a drug addict. Do they have programs where you can go to meetings and stuff like that? Is that available or yeah, is that just yeah. something? Yeah. No, they do. Um, they do. You know, they do have uh, they do have some programs and see, I had done the what's called the cats programs, correctional addiction treatment service program at uh, the local county jail here. And um, I had done it prior and, and got out and kept using because honestly, I didn't I actually didn't want to stay sober. Because mm -hmm. last time I did and I thought I would they wouldn't give me a chance to redo it again. And uh, I also got in some trouble in there. So I got moved to uh to a higher security thing and and when when you do that when you make decisions to get in fights in jail they move you up a class and they the programs go away they go those away. are for the good behave people so yes they do have resources and um but man i i, uh, I kind of blew my chance there and honestly uh i do think there needs to be more when i look at just corrections in general and i've been blessed to take meetings and prior to covid to the prison here and go talk to those guys. And that's been one of the coolest things I've done and uh, looking forward to do it again when they um, release the uh, restrictions there. But, you know, I, um, I wish, like I wish that I would have not been a knucklehead and, and maybe got some chance because maybe I would have got out and not had to go through that year. But, you know, I believe that everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah. But there does, when I go into those prisons, I talk to them. There needs to be more opportunities for what do these guys do when they get out? Like, yeah. 
how do they transition back? Like, how can we set them up like immediately with some support? And, you know, and I don't have the answers to that, but I know that the recidivism rate for, for drug addicts into prison systems is pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, but you had to change mentally. You had to change. You had to make that decision that, and, and you know what? It's not always there. It, it probably, it wasn't there when you got out after a year, but then it was, then you got it. And there's moments in your life that make that click. Mm -hmm. And that was a powerful moment and a powerful story when you were like, it's, it's it's over. Like I'm I'm done with this and then leaned into people. And it was, it was nice. I mean, your mom drove you to the meeting, but she's like, you're not staying with me. And then that guy that you don't even know offered you a, a, a bed or someplace to sleep in his house. And it was people that helped you along, which is very important. Yeah. You know, and I was finally humble enough to ask for help. I remember the meeting cleared out that night and it was, I remember it was December 20th. So it was five days before Christmas and it's cold and everyone's heading out of this meeting place and I'm still sitting in there and I'm thinking, what do I do? I got my phone. The only people I know are drug addicts. And that one guy that was closing up said, Hey, do you need a ride? And I said, I do, but I have nowhere to go. And you saw him kind of shake his head and he looked and, and it was like, it, it just, and I just said, man, I need some help, man. If you can just, I don't know where to go. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know who to reach out to. I have no sober friends. I just know drug addicts. I don't want to keep living this life. And in that moment, like I just said, I need some help. And I wasn't even saying, can you stay? I just didn't know what I was asking for. I just knew I needed to make it abundantly clear that I was not okay. And I had nowhere to go. Yeah. And that guy said, I'll let you stay on my couch. I remember he goes, but listen, man, if you rob me or anything, I don't care about the principles of this program. I'll beat your ass. I'm like, <laughs> fair enough. And I was, I was not what I don't look like what I am today. I was rail thin, um, sucked up. And, uh, you know, I just think there's such power and just, I didn't know how to genuinely just say like, I'm screwed. Like, I don't know what to do. And this guy gave me a chance and he said, but what you're going to do tomorrow, you're going to take the bus. There's a couple restaurants that are hiring for servers. They'll hire pretty much anyone. You're going to go there and you're going to apply for a job. And so I went to this, this, this little restaurant and, uh, and I, and I just told them, I'm like, listen, I'm out of jail. I don't even have an ID yet. (laughs) It gave me a job. I mean, it was just waiting tables and, uh, you know, but there's such power and just sometimes just saying like, I don't know what I'm doing and I need help. Yeah. And I was too, I wasn't humble enough to ever just finally get to that point to say, Hey, listen, I don't even know how to live life. I have no idea. So you, then they gave you a sponsor and uh, AA, you find a sponsor, which essentially all it is is a sober coach. And, and I get that chance to help other men for free now today. And, um, you know, because it was given to me and I met with this guy weekly and uh, he gave me accountability and it's the same shit I do for, for clients. Yeah. Accountability, application, education. Like he gave me accountability. He gave me some application. Okay, here's what we're going to work on this week. I want you trying to do this. I want you to start, you know, doing these things. I want you to read this part in the book or whatever. And um, he held me super accountable and I'm really grateful for that. And, and he, he, he educated me a lot on, on a lot of things just about life. I didn't even... And I was like, I didn't, I didn't, he was like, have you checked your credit score? And I'm like, no. So I check it and it comes back at a 505. And I was like, that seemed like a high number to me. I was like, (laughs) 
it's pretty good. He goes, no, that's horrible. <laughs> so I had to start facing some of that later on, like uh, towards the end of my first year of sobriety. And that was tough. Like when I started actually viewing, when you take out a $200 payday loan and you never pay it back, it turns into two grand. Yeah. And like I did that over and over and over. I mean, I was so like the, the, the amount of money I owed to people was overwhelming. You know, I did one little step at a time and it took me four years to get in good credit standing. But that's the message. You don't have to do everything overnight. Like, yeah. and I'm so grateful I had somebody who was like, cool. Yeah, you screwed up your credit. That's most addicts. Like, we're just going to start one chip at a time. So why yep. don't you just start calling this place this week? See, tell them your situation. And I couldn't believe the kindness in some people. They were just like, okay, well, here's here's what we'll do. We'll make a deal. We'll cut it down. We'll, and uh, we'll give you a payment plan, you know? And I was like, awesome. And so it took me four years to finally get in good credit standing. Not four months, not four weeks, four years yeah. to finally get my credit score to, you know, a 700 and be in good credit standing. And, and, and this shit just takes time. Yeah. And I'm so grateful I did all that because it was four years ago that I started key nutrition and had I not got every, all my ducks in a row, like they, I couldn't have like got, got, a, you know, they, I got some business loans and did some things because I had done the work leading up to it and it was not easy. It yeah. sucked. And I started making some money and I didn't feel like I was making any money because I had to pay people back, pay creditors back, pay hospital bills, all this stuff. And, yeah. um, it was so good for me. But Key Nutrition was started four years ago, and mm -hmm. and you didn't sit back and say, "I can't do this. My credit sucks. I don't have any money. I can't. How am I going to start something?" And you, you just went out there and started it. Yeah. How'd you? Did you? I mean, it you got to. You know, you. It's got to be a scary moment to go. I'm going to go into fitness and nutrition, and I'm going to counsel people, and then, but oh, what if they know about my past? What are they going to care? You know, they're not going to trust right. me. I'm sure that went through your head. Oh, went through my head a lot early on, especially my first couple of years coaching before I started key nutrition. And then I, I competed in a bodybuilding show a couple. Um, and, you know, I, I, probably something I'll never do again uh, for many reasons. We don't need to go down the rabbit hole, but uh, it mm -hmm. took me really like bankrupt me spiritually because you get really, you have to get selfish, really yeah. selfish. Right. Yeah. Um, but I changed my Instagram handle then to the sober bodybuilder and I wasn't expecting it to stick and it stuck. And part of that was, you know, I was a couple years sober and I finally, like, I, I wouldn't run, a, run my clients to know. And if it ever came up, I'd be like, Oh, I just kind of had a drinking problem. And I just started finally sharing. And instead of people not trusting me, I found they trusted me more. Like they loved knowing that like, people love a, a, an underdog story. Like they, yeah. they love people who battle through adversity and quite frankly, it was really scary for me to like, I remember one client asked me, Oh, so you're in recovery. Like did, you didn't do drugs. Did you? And I go, Oh yeah, I did every drug on the sun. I was addicted to heroin, IV and, uh, and meth at the end and their face. And I was like, Oh, here we go. And then they just said, holy crap, I would have never guessed. I'm so proud of you. And it was like moments like that, that I'm like, I have yet to have someone go, oh, wow, you battled through a hair. You were, what a piece of shit you are. You know, yeah. they don't say that. And so when I started Key Nutrition, what's funny is I'm kind of a fly by the seat of my pants guy. It drives uh, people nuts, some of my assistant nuts. 
I just got this urge that I was going to start in the place I was at. Uh, there was some things not going so right. I didn't agree with their methods. Um, and, and there was some, and I just, one day I just said, I'm going to start my own business. I knew nothing about starting a business other than watching Shark Tank and following Gary Vaynerchuk. That's pretty much all I knew. I had no business <laughs> plan. Um, and uh, I spent, I, I drained anything I had in savings, got a small little loan and, and started, uh, started this company. And again, um, it was all kind of designed to be like in person at that time. And so um, I just went after it. And I remember I got uh, about three months in and it was not taken off like I thought. Like I was personally bringing in a lot of clients, but like I had hired some new coaches that I didn't know how to get them clients. I was like, I don't know, just be a good coach. Like, and then I had to start learning some backend stuff about like maybe running some ads for them. And, and I remember I got so overwhelmed and I came home and, and uh, I'll be forever grateful for this moment. And, you know, you know, my ex-wife, my wife, um, it was my fiance at the time. She came home and I just started crying. I just, I can't do this shit. Like we're losing money. I don't like, I spent way too much. Like I'm coaching so many people right now just to make sure the lights stay on. Like, what was I thinking? I can't do this. And she looked at me and she said, you might not know shit about business, but you can battle through adversity. If you can overcome a heroin addiction, like the statistics for people overcoming an IV heroin addiction for a decade are significantly low. The people that actually recover and stay sober. She said, you can do this too. And so I like went with the same grit and tenacity and I made so many mistakes. I mean, I mean, one time I spent like $5,000 on blender bottles with my logo on it. Cause I thought that was going to sell. Listen, I, that's a great thing if you have five grand laying around, but I didn't like, yeah. these are the mistakes I made. And, uh, it was about 2019, 18, about a year and a half into starting key. I hired my first business coach and I wish I would have done that from the get. And he came in and he kind of tore my business apart and said, okay, this is what you're doing wrong. And, and I needed that structure and, and he gave me a lot of it. And uh, I worked with the guy for a year and um, I wish I would have done that right off of that. You know, I wish yeah. that's what I would have been invested my money in, but man, so many hurdles and I didn't know shit about it. And before I knew it, like, and I don't do not like to throw around numbers because it doesn't matter. But I remember 2019 we did over a million dollars in revenue now that sounds really cool but i still wasn't making that much money because i didn't quite know what i was doing i was spending too much yeah like i was spending lots of money on shit i didn't need like blender bottles right yeah but i remember thinking how did this happen like that's a big milestone and um and it was a really cool moment that like you know i and listen i do i hired a business coach i dove into any business content i could I took all this free time to just study and just learn about the art of business and through trial and error, figuring out what, and I still make mistakes every day. Um, but, uh, you know, it turned into a, to something pretty cool. Yeah. And it wasn't by accident, but it also wasn't, it also wasn't incredibly strategic. Yeah. It's funny how you're coaching people in fitness and nutrition, but then on the, if you go and talk about a business coach, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to spend that money on that business. That's a lot of money, but $5,000 in blender bottles and all this other shit, they're expensive, but they set you on the right path. Like I, I got one. Well, been, I was really good. A, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was going to, I spent, I was spending a thousand dollars a month on ads, not understanding even how to correctly target the ads or what to do with them. And realizing that ads to like, 
personalized coaching don't really work. Like I had to run ads to get people my funnel and then like and run ads to like free ebook. Like none of this made I, I was just doing it all wrong. I was like, hey, you know, come sign up with a coach and change your life. And so you're exactly right. The amount of money I was spending and wasting, if I yeah. just would have invested that in a business coach. Yeah. I mean, people sounds have, like you have one right now. Yeah. I I started um I started the whole thing of, you know, uh, that's, that's expensive. I'm going to buy shirts and I'm going to buy these cups and I'm going to buy some of this shit and that <laughs> shit. And then, you know, uh, it was a good friend of mine and, and I had done, cause along with this podcast, um, I'm a realtor here in Charlotte. So you're building that business up there. And now I added this, um, and I, I just needed direction. I needed to figure out how to make it grow. But, oh, my God, I'd hire this coach to, you know, go work out and this coach, but not a business coach. Right. Yeah. And then when I finally, you know, decided it, it was time, it, it was amazing. But I mean, coaches, coaches work and your stuff works if you let it. Right. If you give in and you're like, this is where I'm having a, an issue with Brad and this is this is my crutch. You can take that and analyze it and say, this is what you need to do, you know, and this is how I'm going to help you get there. And I think it's the support. It's the support and it's it's me having to bring my numbers to you every two weeks or every week. Right. It's accountability. And people get right. scared of accountability. Uh, but yeah. this shit works. Accountability is the crutch that makes shit happen, man. It's like, yep. it really is. And that's why, that's why I believe so much in the art of coaching. And it really never crossed my mind, like, oh, you should get a business coach. And then when I found out how much this business coach was that a friend of mine had a lot of success with, I immediately was like, well, I'm not even hopping on the phone with him. Why would I do that? I had this lurking, just little thing in my head that was like, dude, you're going to keep going in circles. Yeah. Like, you need to hire a coach. And I was like, I can't afford it. It was just this battle, right? Hopped on the call with him. He's a great salesman. And, and he got me. And listen, you know what's funny is I tell people, so I learned so much from him, so many great things. Towards the end of the year that I committed to, some things went a little sour, not necessarily me and him, but kind of on his side with personal stuff and how he was showing up and, and, and some of the things he was doing. And I got this really bad taste in my mouth because I had already committed to pay this guy for a year. Mm. I remember I had a friend tell me, um, and, and listen, I love the guy. Like, yeah. you know, I don't think I'll listen to this podcast. I love the guy. And, and we, you know, I, I had a chance to kind of speak my truth to him at the end. And we, you know, we apologize. And, but I actually learned a lot about what not to do towards the end, too. And I had a buddy tell me, watch and listen. You will learn just as much from watching somebody kind of veer off their path about what not to do in business. And that sometimes is just as valuable what to do. And so it was this interesting kind of like great. And then at the end, kind of went a little sour. But to be honest, looking back now, I actually learned probably more towards the end. I was like, okay, I see he's like his personal life start to affect his business, his divorce, like all this stuff has crept in. And then go figure, I go through a divorce. And I'm like, the one thing I'm not going to do is talk, bring it into my client calls, bring it into my business coaching, like, like as I help bring, like, yeah, that is my personal life. It stays there. Yeah. And I get to operate with integrity and like, come, come at like a bit, like that's, that was such a lesson for me. And to go figure, 
you know, I end up going through a divorce. And so I just tell people, I think, you know, investing in a coach, sometimes it doesn't give you exactly. And like, like I said, it was just more at the end about like how I thought it should, Mm -hmm. but it went, it went just how it was supposed to. And honestly, since that guy, I have had a, some kind of business coach or mentor um, ever since. And, uh, you know, I wanted to build my content a lot more in the end of uh, 2019. What I do, I reached out to a guy that had been on my podcast. His name is Jordan Syatt. And he's got, you know, 800,000 followers now. And he had personal trained Gary Vaynerchuk, learned a lot about content. And I was like, listen, I can just wing this like I have been trying and it's not working. Or I can invest money and hire a content coach. So that's what I did. And wouldn't you know, like my following went from like 3,000 to like 28,000. And and it's taken time. That was November of 19. And so that's a over a year and a half. Yeah. And I worked with them for all 2020 and um and it's no surprise that like my content got a lot better because i knew i had to invest in a coach and my i'm forever grateful for that and i when i started a podcast kind of didn't know what i was doing reached out to my friend chase tuning who does podcast coaching i hired him for three months to streamline my podcast people are afraid to invest and i was always looking at this shit as an expense yeah an expense is when i have to uh you know and expenses when I have to pay for, uh, you know, new carpet because it got ripped up here. Like, it's not really an investment. I had to right. like pay for it because the carpet was a mess. So, like, that's an expense. Yeah. You know, an expense is like these. But an investment is totally different. Yeah. And when you're investing in yourself, yep. like, to grow, like, that's when you'll win the game. Yeah. And that's what you're doing for people with not only your podcast, but people are investing in you you know, to, to win, to get yeah. a hold of whatever kind of food deem- I've been battling with the, the food demon forever. Right. And that's, that's just what I do. I, I switch from here and I'm doing this and it's, it's crazy because like you said, you can look at pictures of yourself back when you were a kid and I can look at pictures of my, I look in the mirror and I'm like, Oh man. And then all of a sudden I look at a picture. I'm like, Oh, I don't know what I'm bitching about, but I mean, but your story is, your story is great. And, and I hope people realize the the things that you said is time and patience. And it's not like you jumped on this, this ship and, and took off and you went through a divorce, yeah, working with your credit. And that, that's kind of the whole thing about the podcast and about the grit and, and everybody has grit to some point, but how much do other people have and how much does that grit come through when you're going through adversity and crappy times, man. And that's kind of the beyond things. And so it's, it's great. What do you have? So looking, what, what's your, what's your future look like? Do you have things like I'm, I got this or I'm, I'm thinking about this or, or are you just you kind of in the moment it's, right it's, now? It's really funny, man. If you would ask me what's my five year plan, I would say no clue. Um, now, now, you know, I'm, uh, it, I'm the least, whatever the opposite of type A is, that's me. Right. Um, but man, of course, I have kind of these like visions of what I want to do. And, and you know, Key Nutrition's gave me this great platform uh, 
where I feel like now I, you know, I'm building, you know, I started this other business with the next level experience and, and, uh, and that's going really well. And I'm starting to see some opportunities there to do, you know, I mean, what I really want to do honestly is at some point I picture me speaking on big live stages. I don't know what that even means. And I want to write a book. And I know that, you know, the writing a book part, um, is a lot of work Yeah, and, uh, and a lot of time that not necessarily is always going to bring dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not even from that, but man, like, I'm just, I'm just so grateful to still like the life I get to live today is beyond my wildest dreams, man. And like, that's not even saying like, you know, I've had some great monetary success, but really at the end of the day, like. I think that shit doesn't even, of course it matters for a quality of life for me and especially my kid. Now there's a different leverage point, but just the life I get to live where like I get to do what I love for a living and I get paid for it. And like yeah. this entrepreneurial journeys of being like, I don't know where else it's going to take me, but I'm so open energetically to new ideas and new things that are going to come my way. And uh, it's just exciting, man. Like I I'm, the book thing is going to happen. It's been lurking at me and I, I want to write a book. I want to write about my whole story and, yeah. um, you just got to do it. And that's, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. And so I'm just having a blast, man. I, um, I'm really what I'm actually trying to buy back this summer. There's a little more of my time and yeah. be able to, uh, you know, I, I start getting my kid more and more as he gets older with a uh, kind of a custody arrangement. And, uh, so this summer is actually kind of about buying back some of my time, easing up a little bit because I've been gritting for eight and a half years. Yeah. And it's like, all right, you know what? I'm in a position where I can back off a little and that scares the living shit out of me. <laughs> and, but I, but I know that like, that's what my soul's craving. So it's interesting as far as business goes, I might be plateaued for the next three months, but I need my time. I want my, I want, I need a little more balance in my life and then come fall. Um, I got some ideas that, that I'm going to try to like, you know, push through and do so good, man. Good. All right. So how can people find you? Yeah. So I'm most active on Instagram. It's at the sober bodybuilder, all one word. Um, love it. If you give me a follow, I, I try to interact as much as possible on there. And, um, and then the, uh, the, the website, if you're interested in coaching is keynutrition.com. Um, I currently have a wait list, but I, I have two amazing assistant coaches that help oversee their programs and they're available. And then the podcast is the key nutrition podcast where it's all about food, fitness, and mindset. And, um, so if you're, you know, really kind of sticking to the basics, uh, with nutrition and fitness and so, and it's for any level, whether it's competitors or just, you know, everyday people trying to get into it. So, um, yeah, man. And then the next level experience is uh, my next level which the next one will be launching in, uh, in August. So that if you want more information on that, you can go check out the website. Cool, man. I appreciate your time today. This was, uh, thank you for having me really on. Good, I really man. enjoy it. All right. Thank you. Cool. See you, buddy. All right. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of beyond grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate and review tell somebody about it you can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms be sure to tune in every wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit until then take care